Oh, yeah. Backseat Playlist <laughs> Episode 7. <laughs> Woo! If you are a member of the Patreon, you got a treat. Yeah, you got <laughs> I just feel like now I want to repeat everything that I just said. Nah. I'm going to keep doing it. It's going to be like Groundhog Day. Ooh. If you could change one thing about the movie Groundhog Day. <laughs> what would you put in the box? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Is How about that- Gwyneth Paltrow? You think she's a good actress? <laughs> I know she she missed a lot of things in the Iron Man Iron Woman suit in Avengers Endgame. We've talked about that before. Yeah. Not really pulling her weight. No. I feel like there wasn't great character development on her after she got the apparent superpowers. Yeah, right? Because then I feel like was well, we've a, talked about this before. I still, I, I have to go back and rewatch Iron Man three. Was it stated that then he like made a serum for her so she no longer I had remember the, the sur- lava man powers? That's I re- what I called it. I, I remember know. a surgery scene. I think it yeah, was that, that movie. thing. Okay, because I can never remember. And then she became what was it Rescue? I think it was called Rescue or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't think Gwyneth Paltrow is like fantastic, but I also find her highly entertaining. <laughs> so I'm kind of like I'm down for more Gwyneth Paltrow. G pal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, we are we restarting the episode again? No, because <laughs> I said G pal. <laughs> no, I just don't. I'm not. I, I, I said earlier. I I am. Uh, I'm cranky today for no yeah, reason. No reason. Okay. But uh, I didn't know that I was hosting the show with Adam Nolly Get Good. So welcome, Adam. Thank you. I am uh, the English version. Well, he is English. Yeah, but like the American English version. Made the real English version. Yeah, the, uh, the independent English version. <laughs> shots fired. There were a lot of there them. There were yes, very many shots how fired. How the independence was found, actually. And won. Uh, yeah, yeah, we found it, actually. We didn't win it. We just... It <laughs> yeah, was, we... It was as, as, <laughs> as Americans did. We found and discovered everything. We, we created independence, if you it, didn't know. It was, uh, it was a... A treasure hunt that really got out of hand. <laughs> Surprisingly, Nick Cage was there. That was actually how, like, if you think about it, like, pirates were always searching for treasure. There was just, all the nations got together, and they're like, there's one freedom document. So whoever <laughs> finds it, whoever finds it. Can we shoot that low-budget flick? And yes. can it be, like, a prequel to the <laughs> National Treasure movies? And it's, like, Nick Cage's, like, ancestors, and he's in the movie, but he's not playing whatever But it has to tie name. into Pirates of the Caribbean somehow. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You can bring in the uh, the head of the British fleet guy. You know, he, I think he dies in the third movie where he's that slow mo shot where he's walking across the ship. Um, and Norrington, like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe he's in it too. Maybe his father's in it. I don't know. Did he die? I think he died in that scene. I mean, I don't know how you survive your ship getting exploded like that. Either a cannonball kills you, shrapnel wait, 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 kills wait, wait. you, the, or you drown. The the guy who was always with the Royal Navy, or the guy who helped out the pirates. I don't know. Because there was the one guy who was, like, disgraced. The Norrington guy was uh, in the first one. And then he was, like, in the third movie, he, like, came back with, like, the trading company or something. I I haven't watched all of them. Yeah, I don't know. Two and three should have been one movie. I liked them as as two parts. I didn't like I mean, I did as a kid. I liked the whole, oh, my God, Barbosa's back cliffhanger thing. That was kind of fun. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't a fan of the third one. And then I haven't watched any of the other ones. Uh, I saw the one with the mermaids. 
And I, I think, was that the same one that had Benicio Del Toro? I don't know. Is there? I think there's like five of them. There's like five, yeah. I don't know, yeah. I mean, I watched the first three and I liked them. But it was kind of like after Orlando Bloom was gone, I was kind of like... One, great. Two, pretty good. Three just got... It could have been executed better, I feel. Yeah, I feel like the only trilogy that does it right is Lord of the Rings. That's... Facts. Oh, did you see that they're doing an uh, Amazon Prime show about the... Uh, the Forging of the Rings? Yeah. I will sit there with bated breath. I've got no expectations. Yeah. That's... I'm glad, though. What I will say is, though, I was under the uh, misunderstanding that they were going to do a retelling of, of the War of Power. Uh, I was like, uh, you know, basically what the movies and the books were. I didn't realize they were doing a prequel thing, which I'm actually really excited about because it was like... I know yeah, that I got there's... real fired up at first. I was like, you can't remake them. They're perfection. Yeah. And I mean, you know, as a as a huge book fan, I will say I, you know, I remember, I mean, I don't remember because I was such a kid. I was a kid at the time, but I've, I've gone back on the, the archives of the internet and there was a massive division between the fans when the, when the Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson, right? Yeah. Yeah. When those came out, you know, Balrogs don't have wings. Just, I want to state that Balrogs don't have wings. He doesn't describe them as having wings. Okay. I just want to point that out first. But I don't mind it because I think the spirit is there. And I think that's yeah. the most important thing is I think when adaptations change the spirit yeah. is a problem. Because I was talking to you about this earlier. I can't remember what his name is, but I watched that whole you know piece about the, the first Lord of the Rings movie, the, the animated one. Yeah, yeah. And how it actually is a lot more literal adaptation not adaptation but it is literally like a shot for shot dialogue like almost all of the dialogue in that movie yeah, is... is actual dialogue from the books mm. and it's a little rough because it doesn't translate the same you do have to adapt things for screen and for real people speaking and yeah and so there's a lot of things that I think Peter Jackson although he might have changed from the books I thought the spirit was still there and it's still in part of the same story and the same themes, and I think that's yeah. Important. Well, I mean, I think that ties into almost any form of of art. That is that there has to be some sort of change and compromise for the medium mm-hmm. that it is uh, displayed on. Yeah, much like we've talked about it, where like there's a lot of bands in our tier that we record where they just want it to sound like we just want it to sound like our live show, and it's just like, well, there's a lot of environmental factors that make yeah. a live show feel like a live show. Yeah, you can't recreate that. Yeah, it has like, to be a different thing. It sounds like that because you're hearing the guitar stacks and mm-hmm. the fucking the PA and the kick drum all in the room. And your ears are the, you know, one of the most complex transducers yeah. on the planet that it's like, you know, your ears in a room, and no microphone is going to capture that the same way. If I boost the low end on a CD for you to feel it, the way that you do in a live show, you're not gonna it's like it. Not, it's not gonna sound good. And there's also you're also in a certain mindset. You're at a show live. You know, you're either in the crowd or you're on stage. There's a you've a, had one or two uh, yeah adult beverages. There's a you know, level like, of adrenaline coursing through you that you probably don't have when you're in your car at 7 a.m. heading to work. work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's not gonna it's not gonna do the same thing. That's why I do and I do like. I don't like it for everything, but um, Dan Bronstein, the guy who did, uh, did Spirit Box and some other mm-hmm. stuff, he has approach. He calls it, you know, hyper realistic. That's his approach right. to mixing, and I, and I do appreciate that. I don't necessarily think that applies to all forms of music, but especially for, you know, modern rock and metal, where it's like there is so much energy in a live performance versus something like, you know, jazz or yeah. or, or bluegrass, something like that. Not that there's not energy there, but it's different. It's not that like kind of like excitement fireworks crazy light show right, right. vibe that you get at, at like a rock show 
Um, and so you've got to make up for that. And so you do that by making everything very hyper-realistic, very, you know, more than real. So it, it gives you that sense of amped up excitement when you listen, to, when you're just experiencing listening to it yeah. in a car. Um, and I think, I think that's a really cool approach. Yeah, I would agree. Um, the, uh, the Marvel movies would not be as cool without CGI. I agree. I do hope, though, that we kind of find... I think it's the same thing with right. audio. The blending of analog and digital is like yeah. there's a perfect balance in there. I think the same thing with like movies. Like I really get bothered when they so heavily rely on CGI. Where it's like, well, you could have done practical effects there, and it might have been kind of cool. Yeah. Um, like, oh, God, did you see The Eternals? No. Okay, well, I'm not going to spoil anything. Good I, or bad. I've heard a I bag of it. mixed reviews. I I liked it. I read an article. Was like, this is the end of the MCU. I liked it. I I am no Disney shill. You know, they can burn for eternity. But what I will say is, within the realm of what the Marvel movies are, you know, Martin Scorsese being like, they're not cinema. Yada yada yada. It's like that's fine. Like I'm not going to argue that they're the greatest films of all time. But they're fun stories. And so for what they are, I really appreciated how they didn't with the Eternals. They didn't follow the same exact cookie-cutter script that they do for every single new IP that they do. Yeah. I mean, like, I loved Shang-Chi. I thought it was really fun. But my only criticism of it would be my same criticism for almost all the Marvel movies after, like, what, the original three IPs, Iron Man, Thor, uh, Thor, and and, um, even Thor. I really didn't like the first Thor. No. I loved the first Iron Man, and I loved the first Captain America. The first Um, Thor movie, when it first came out, was why I didn't care to watch any of the other Marvel movies yeah, for like 10 years. Yeah, I really years, did not like the first like... Thor movie. Um, and I think it's because almost all of them follow the same like formula. You yeah. Know, when it's just like, oh my God, can't we get... Like I did... that. I enjoyed what I liked about... Um, you know, I had some gripes with Black Panther, but what I really liked was how he already had the suit. He already had the powers because he'd kind of been introduced a little bit. So we had a little yeah. backstory. So we just got thrust into his world of dealing with his father and dealing with, okay... He's already been the Black Panther, but now he's got to be the king. And so yeah. I thought I thought that That's was really cool. cool. I enjoyed to, that. See, I didn't like Black huh. Panther. I mean, I I didn't. I, it wasn't one of my favorites, weird, but like I like all the characters. I love that actor. I, I, I loved him yeah. as Black. Like I every everything but the the plot line of them. Like if it was a different story, I think it would be awesome. But it just like it felt. I didn't I like know. Killmonger. Yeah. I think for me that was my biggest complaint was I just did not like the villain. Yeah. I don't I'm not a huge fan of Michael B. Jordan. I feel like he plays the same guy in every movie. Um I, Yeah. It's weird because you like watch him as a person mm-hmm. and you just be like, You seem like a cool guy. Yeah, he seems like a fun guy to hang out but with. Like, but like yeah, I didn't I didn't like him as a villain. Like it really he was like a bad bass tone, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he just <laughs> didn't I, but so my, I wouldn't. I shouldn't see. I shouldn't even say bad bass tone. He was like the the not right bass tone for the song. Yeah, transition wink, game. Wink. Well, hold on. I'm gonna my Eternals thing real quick. Yeah. But I liked it. I thought it was good. I thought they hit and miss at certain points. I thought it was a little long. I like long movies. Yeah. Like Endgame. Love how long Endgame was. Loved how long Infinity War was. Perfect. But for this movie, it Wait, was a little long. Eternals. For Eternals. Eternals okay. was a little long. I might watch that after um, you leave. I got nothing. It's it's worth it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. But the yeah. post credit scene, they have a character that Patton Oswald plays, and he's completely CGI. 
I think that was a horrible move because uh, it looks so bad. It look, I mean, one, it's post-credit scenes. They probably don't use so much of the budget for that. And they, um, I think, I think in a lot of the post-credit scenes, it's all just filmed on green screen, and they they yeah. tell the actor what to say, mm-hmm. but they don't tell them who they're saying. It's real rough. To. It's, yeah. I I feel like for his character, he plays a um, he plays a uh, I I guess I think it's like it's I think he actually identifies like they are like a dwarf, okay. um, not like. You know, like an actual like mythical creature dwarf, right? right. Um, and uh, which I get, Patton Oswalt doesn't look anything like the CGI character they created, but like I feel like they could have done some practical effects and then layered some CGI on it, and it would looked really cool. But mm. it was clearly like, like you said, yeah, it, it, they just had him voiceover a CGI character. They didn't even have him do the uh, the ball suit the capture, thing, the motion, cap, motion cap. capture. They yeah. didn't do the Smeagol thing. They they literally yeah. just. CGI'd this weird-looking character. I learned that uh, a lot of the Far Cry villains do the motion capture thing, so it's actually like a performance. That makes sense based on how good those characters come across. They yeah. do seem very realistic. Yeah, it was cool. I watched a, a clip on like what makes the... <laughs> <laughs> what did you say to me yesterday? I was telling you about that girl I was talking to, and you... I was like, I was like, I was like, she, yeah. she said, <laughs> Phoenix looks at me and goes, she said that I look interesting, and I didn't know if that was good or bad. And I jokingly said, because Phoenix has long hair and a beard, and I said, you look like a blonde Joseph Seed from Far Cry 5. <laughs> but then she, I, I asked her, like, I look interesting? How so? And then she proceeds to say, I don't know, just your look and, like, the impression of your vibes. And that's when I said, yep. And that's when, and that's when Adam said that. And I was just like, I still don't know if this is a good thing. <laughs> I was making a joke when I first Me and met. Her are no longer talking. When I first met <laughs> Aaron Getchell, friend of the show, uh, I did make the joke once. It's like after I met him, and we'd known each other for a while, where I was like, I could tell that we could joke, and I was like, I feel like when you grow your hair out, you look like a third tier Western villain. <laughs> like you're not running the show. Like and you're not gonna be one of the first. It was like you'd be one of the first guys to die when Wyatt Earp's posse goes out. Oh my god! Yeah, I like my comparison that you gave me better. <laughs> At least I make it to the end of the game. I, you make it past the end of the game. Yeah, that's true. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Big for Far Cry kick for. Remember when you game. posted that photo of you next to Charles Manson? <laughs> that was Phil Collins. Wait, the one on my Instagram or the one that I just randomly sent you? I think, oh, maybe it was one that you randomly sent me. Yeah, when I grow my hair out, I look like Charles Manson. I like it. If it weren't, if it wouldn't be incredibly offensive, I would say for Halloween, you could draw like a swastika on your forehead and do the whole Charles Manson thing, but that, I feel like that line crossed. I like, we could just say that that would be. I like to push the envelope, but sometimes, you know. Yeah. The yeah. paper does break, I guess. I don't know. The, the <laughs> I like paper, to push the, the envelope, but sometimes the sticky shit just wears off. <laughs> it's, you know. And then you got to go to the, you know, you got to find the thing, Elmer's glue <laughs> in, the, in the drawer, and it's just a mess. What a character. Charles Manson. Yeah, what a... Hey, but it ties in because he was also a musician. He, <laughs> what about his bass tones? The bass... No, the drummer of the Beach Boys was, like, producing his album. I don't know. I know he had, like, connections to the Beach Boys and the Beatles and all kinds of people. I don't think he had connections to the Beatles. I think he was just a big fan of the Beatles. Know, that's he was. made... Yeah, because that's where the heel... He was a CIA plant. Heel, we all know it. Heelter Skelter. Heelter Skelter. Skelter? I don't know. They what spelled a it wrong. nut job. What a nut job. Phenomenal... Last podcast on the left series on yeah. Charles Manson. If you got eight hours to kill, yeah, what a psychopath for many reasons. That guy, Whew. 
Yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't realize, like, they don't, you know, they, they know of Charles Manson. They know of, like, oh, yeah, he had those people murdered, like, yeah. stuff. But, I mean, like, this dude is just, I mean, he wanted to start a race war and all kinds of crazy-ass stuff. Yeah, that's it's just his like, tie into the Beatles, is that yeah. the song Helter Skelter was about, I don't, I, I, I'm not insane enough to comprehend the <laughs> Yeah, thought. I'm just like, what? <laughs> I just thought it was crazy that they found him because his hair was sticking out of the cabinet. And then the police officer's like, yeah, if I hadn't seen the hair, I wouldn't have checked because there was no way a normal-sized person could <laughs> <laughs> May you rot in hell. Yeah. Is he dead? He died. I think he did. Yeah. Did he? Or did he get... I think he died over pandemic times. Okay, good. Yeah. I don't think many people should die, but... Yeah. You know. No RIP to that guy. Yeah. So what's no. the opposite of don't... Rest in chaos. Or maybe just may oblivion take you. May, yeah. May you be transported to the dark world. Like at the end of Doctor Strange, I want him to go to the... Go with Dormammu. Dormammu, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I think Manson might like that. Well, the other guy thought he would like that, and then... Oh, the yeah, end, true, yeah. then he didn't. Yeah. See, that's what happens when you mess with evil. Don't be an evil shithead, people. Yeah, just be cool. All right. We're gonna focus... This we are a podcast for the people, of the people, farting on people. <laughs> we are. <laughs> That's what we call this. This is our word farts. Farty bass tones. Farty right. bass tones are my favorite. We are done with drums for We're now. Done forever. Never. I'm never recording a drum set ever again. I am over them. I smashed my drums when I got home. I, I said, Adam, I called him, and I said, I'm done. I'm done, <laughs> I'm done with these done drums. with drums. So next on the... I would call it typical input list would be the bass. Slap of the bass, man. Slap of the bass, Slap of the bass. Comment below if you get that reference. Deep bass. All right. <laughs> yes, we are talking recording ready bass and bass amp setups today. Adam's first note on the thing was don't suck. I appreciated that. Yep. Practice. No, actually, no. One of the most important notes, I don't even want to get into it because it's such a... a it is such a dumb thing, but I'm glad you wrote it down there. Don't bring, and this applies to everything. All of it. To, to all instruments. Don't bring broken gear into the studio. Like, <laughs> unless it's unless, like, unless. Creative effect. Yes. Unless it maybe, you know, we did this the other day, actually. We had a China symbol that we were told was broken, but the drummer pointed out, but it actually has a really cool sound. And I don't, like, ride on it. It's just, you know, it's a really cool accent. Yeah. And it being broken, it has a certain sound to it that is still appealing. But, you know, if you're going to bring a bass guitar in and you've got three tuning pegs broken off so you can't tune it. Yeah. I'm going to literally shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean figuratively. I will literally. I will literally shoot you and go to prison. It is. Yeah. I will insinuate violence. <laughs> Not verbally. Not verbally. <laughs> Fiz- um, you know, also, don't, you know, check your speakers before, if you're bringing in a, a speaker cabinet, make sure that, you know, the speakers are tightened in there and that the speaker doesn't fall out of the cabinet because you, screws are loose. Routine um, maintenance goes Routine maintenance is so way. important, but, you know, don't have blown speakers. Don't have fried tubes, you know. Bring in gear that works. It doesn't have to be the top quality. You don't have yeah. to bring in a $10,000 amp, but if you're going to bring in your $100 budget amp, Make sure it at least works. Yeah. You know? that. So I feel like that was our PSA for the Yeah, we'll get more into that. Now we can get into the fun stuff, but just... We'll get into that later, but yes, more specifically later. All right. uh, This is my area of uh, 
not expertise, but I feel like I have opinions. So the bass is an instrument that has strings. <laughs> it, uh, it is called the bass because it sits in the uh, bass frequency range of the uh, frequency spectrum. So, And it turns out that I actually play the bass. Phoenix does play the bass. Uh, some people tell him that he has too many strings on his bass. Oh. Yeah, so you've got, you know, your, 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 your standard bass has got four strings. A lot of people know that. You've also got five-string bass, which has a lower B string. And then you've also got six-string bass, which has a higher C string. Uh, you can go even farther than that. But that's, that's, I feel like it's pretty rare to even see a six-string for most types of music for most people. But I, think I can only think of two um, bass players that I've seen play six-string basses. I dig them. They're cool. They're yeah. fun. Uh, but it doesn't really change how you record it, honestly. Between five, four, and six, I don't think mm. I ever really approach it differently. Right. Um, you, I think the most important thing, we'll talk about this kind of, I'm going to kind of blend the two because they are similar uh, but with guitar. Uh, I think we've talked about this before where mm. my stance is I find that when recording bass, the actual bass and the tone that you get from the bass is much more important than the amp versus... In guitar, I feel like you can get away with having not so much of a great guitar, but the amp is a lot more important, um, especially yeah. when it comes to distorted guitar. Maybe I will I would change that when it comes to like clean guitar if you're doing like yeah. jazz or if we're talking about acoustic guitar. Um, but I feel so much of the tone of the bass comes from first off. I'm not even gonna say the player because we all know that the player, the fingers, yeah. how you play it. Um, is very important. Drastically change the tone based on how you're playing. Whether you're playing with a pick, that's yeah. going to get you that punk sound where you've got very a lot of attack, very springy, versus your fingers, which that you could still get that same attack. You know, listen to a bass player yeah. like uh, what's his name, Connor Green? No, I'm thinking of Haken. Who's the bass player for Carnival? But yep, watch him. you know watch watch him play and if you watch his fingers he hits the bass like a sledgehammer and he yeah. gets the same tone you'd hear out of a pick with his fingers. Um, same thing as the uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the bass play the current bass player for Intervals he gets this crazy tone out of his fingers and it's yeah. mind blowing. Uh, so you know engineers when you're having if you're going for certain tones also understand the type of caliber of player you're working with that they might not be able to get a tone you're looking for out of their fingers. Also, yeah. a lot of people aren't as consistent with their, their right-hand technique when using their fingers versus a pick. Um, you know, yeah. When you're playing very fast-paced music that's got lots of 16th notes and 8th notes, you, know, you want that to be very even. And sometimes you got to tell the guy, hey, we need to use a pick for this because it's a lot easier to get consistent hits than it is with It's a very fingers. hot topic in the uh, bass player community. Yeah. So. Picks versus fingers. I, I that whole topic is stupid. It yeah. Whatever the song calls for, whatever the song calls for, and whatever your ability level calls for, do whatever it takes. I used to not be as talented yeah. with. <laughs> I was gonna say I used to not be as talented with my fingers, and that sounds pretty funny. <laughs> I'm very talented with my fingers. No, but before I had the the experience and the skill, and I'd really fine tuned my right hand technique. When I would go into the studio for certain stuff, I would always play with a pick because I just knew I'm gonna get that result. Yeah quicker and more consistent than if I play with my fingers. Now I'm at a point where I can do that. I can, I've got a lot of control and I've, I've, I've practiced enough that I can do what I want to do with my hand. Mm. Um, but, you know, 
engineers, you need to understand the abilities of your clients without making them feel bad, but just say, hey, yeah. man, I, I think you're really going for this tone and we're not going to get it. You know, the physics, you know, yeah. always blame it on physics. <laughs> it's like you're not going to get that tone with how you're performing that. So I think we need to try this. There's a freedom in accepting the limitations of physics when yeah. it comes to recording and playing live. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, I think a lot of times too, it's, you know, always explain to your clients like, hey, this is going to be faster. You're going to save money. You know, especially, yeah. I think that's why I do like working with an hourly rate is because then mm-hmm. you can kind of get your clients to do stuff differently. You can be like, this is going to save you money if we do it this way. Yeah. One, it's going to make my life easier. It's going to make it sound better. That's the most important thing. Yeah. It's going to make it sound better. But two, on your end, it's going to save you money if we just do it this way. <laughs> It's like we can go searching for this tone forever, but I, I know, having the experience, that we're not going to get it with what you're doing, so we yep. need to do it a different way. Yeah, I've been in some of those um, engineer-client meetings. Not even me as like the lead engineer, but it was like the, the, the band situation I was in a couple years ago where it was just like they didn't like the bass tone, but mm-hmm. they were like also very insistent that the session bass player like didn't use a pick. Then he's just like, it sounds so muddy and inarticulate. That's, yeah, a lot of times how it sounds when you're playing with fingers. <sighs> Horrible band. Horrible band situation. A general note is that when you're playing with a pick, you're going to get punchy and attacky. Yes. You know, you're going to get that kind of click sound, that high-end sound. If you're going for warm and smooth, you're using your fingers. Correct. That's a general, general thing. Yes, it does vary. A lot of examples in my playlist today defy that. Just because right. of how good those bass players are, but yeah, we're talking. We're not talking about the greatest of the greats. We're talking about, you know, average. Yeah, average. Good, but average. Yeah. Um, another really important thing, you know, besides the bass itself, is the strings. That's going to completely mm. change your tone. I've actually recently gone from playing for, for certain stuff, actually. So for getting a really bright sound, another way that you can do that is most bass strings, most. Players play with nickel strings. Mm-hmm. I've switched to steel recently, okay. stainless steel. Um, it's a lot brighter. It's a lot springier sounding. Um, it's not as warm and deep, but mm-hmm. I feel like for the style of music that I've been recording with, with you know, with Marzi and getting that metal, yeah. a lot of that articulation, steel strings are awesome. Now, um, that's not to say that nickel strings aren't going to give you that uh, springy right. springiness, but if you're going for that over the top, I think that's one of the things that the carnival bass player and this guy in intervals do, do is that they're using their fingers, but then they're also using steel strings, which just amplifies their right. ability to smack the hell out of it and get that 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 pick tone. Mm-hmm. Um, you've also got round. So uh, most strings are round wound, which means they've got like texture to them, but then you've got flat wound, which is what. Um, most strings on like an actual upright bass are where there's no like texture to them yeah. and they're they're generally on fretless basses. Those are really cool too. I don't ever put flat wounds on a bass with frets because I feel like you're missing Just half of something. it anyways. Yeah. By well, I feel like because you know part of that flat wound sound is then also getting that slight intonation difference that you get when playing a, a, a fretless bass because then you're having to actually intonate it yourself by fretting properly. You know, right. frets are cheating. <laughs> Love them, but they're cheating. It's like it's like bowling with the, uh, the, with, gutters, the with the gutters yeah. up. Or the, um, yeah, the, yeah, gutter rails. But uh, you can get a really smooth sound with, with flat ones. Not to say that you can't, you know, if you're really going for a super smooth sound and all you have is a fretted bass, totally go with flat ones. You'll get a really smooth sound, but you're not going to do that in rock music. You might... I wouldn't say in like modern radio country, but in um, you know more 
we call it like Appalachian country, more folky Americana, more folky stuff. Americana yeah. you know, flat wound strings, flat wound nickel smooth, strings are really smooth, smooth, warm, low end to the bass tone. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. They just open up. You get kind of that dull thumpy sound. That's really cool. Um, I think a lot of a lot of records back in like the fifties and sixties, they were even when they had when they switched to electric bass, they were using uh, flat wounds, and so you get some really sense, cool yeah. sounds and a lot of the old blues stuff. Uh, I'm a big fan, big fan of, of of just changing strings around. Also, different brands. You know, you've also got stuff like Elixirs that are coded, um, and now I run those live. Elixirs are my favorite strings live because they last so long because they're coded. They don't have the same amount of brightness as normal regular nickel strings because I think the coating does dull them a little bit but it's negligible it's not super different now in the studio I wouldn't use them if I was going for that tone but for live where you're wanting to keep that like night after night they yeah. are incredible it's one of those uh, live sound compromises yeah. things that's it's just like there's totally worth it certain drum heads that I don't really care to record with to bring it, not to bring it back to drums, but my area of expertise. Yeah, I don't really gotta make the comparisons. I don't really love recording with them, but if I have to do like provide one of my kits for like mm -hmm. a backline day, I'm gonna put those on there because they're gonna sound okay-ish enough, but they'll just last. And it's yeah, like that's the thing about the elixirs. Like they're expensive, but like if you know that hey, I'm gonna be playing a string of shows yeah. in this month, it's totally worth it because otherwise, honestly, I find with most every other brand of strings uh, that aren't coded, after one night they're dull. Like, after, like, a three-hour set, like, they're not the same. Yeah. Whereas the Elixirs, I can get away with running those for, like, 10, 12 shows, and they sound awesome still. Yeah. Um, I don't really want to... I mean, I could go endlessly about the different types of basses, but you've got... You've got typically, you've got, you know, your humbucking basses that have got humbuckers, which are two coils that are, you know, together. Yeah. Um, which is pretty standard on, like, your Music Mans, Schecter's... Crutch basses, and then you've got you know the Fender styles that you know everybody does it now. But you've got jazz bass, which is a single coil. Mm. You've got your P bass. It's a split single, um, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, they're like the little squares. Yeah. All of those have such vast different tones. Um, endlessly, I mean, it doesn't. Typically, you know, in rock and metal, you want to use a humbucker, but I, typically, but I mean, I use yeah. a, I use a jazz bass. Um, yeah. Lots of guys use jazz basses and P basses in rock and metal. A lot of punk stuff is played on P basses. Uh, I have a soft um, spot for the P bass in it's my a, heart. It's great. I also love the JP ones where it's a it's a jazz bass single coil and a P bass coil. Yeah, you get the P bass kind of in the bridge position, mm -hmm. and then you have the jazz bass kind of single coil. Yeah, and the closer to the neck. Is it would it be neck and bridge with basses? Well? Uh, well, the yeah, it would be neck and bridge. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, though, you can get great tones. It it's not. It's fun to talk about, but it's not. But amazing. in practice, it's yeah. kind of like this is where you get really fun stuff. Where it's like, oh, we've got this metal song that everybody's playing single coil Telecasters, and it's a P bass. Like this is crazy, you know. Yeah. It doesn't. It's, you know, we are still recording in the '90s. Then to be like, well, yeah, you've got to have, you know, active EMGs and, mm -hmm. you know, humbuckers and stuff like that. You've got to play a Music Man bass, and that's the only way to get that sound. But now it's like, yeah, they're just different tones. Experiment with them. You know? Also, a big fan of the Gibson Grabber basses. Ah, uh, I love that. Yeah. My, uh, I've been in search of one for a decent price, but the PVT-40, I've told you about yeah. this, I have, I'm obsessed with this bass. Well, it's the, a, um, the bass player for Kowloon Walt City plays a bunch of old P basses, or not <laughs> old, old PV basses. Dude, we've talked about this before, but PV's got some great gear. You got, you're sitting right there, PV, like, they, I feel like, don't really get brought up as being, like, a top, like, gear company, because they've got a, just a lot of workhorse stuff that's just like, hey, it gets the job done, but then they've got like these little hidden gems, diamonds just, in the rough. It's yeah. just crazy. Like the, the the T series, like it's nuts. 
Yeah, I want to. F- I would like to find an old PV base. Well, I mean, shit. The original fifty one fifties were PV. The yeah. original blockheads. Yeah, um, those are killer. Um, Staple in the uh, guitar industry. Yeah, I mean, they're still used. I mean, granted, I think a lot of them now are, are the EVH versions, but still, yeah, but the PV same. version's better. Yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> EVH ones are great though too. They they're are just great more too, modern. No. There's yeah, a they certain are. Warmth to the PV one. There's also something about I think about like the gain structuring on them that it's got that modern gain fizz yeah. thing that happens. And I don't say fizz is like a bad thing, but just like yeah, it's very. Th- I was gonna say throaty, but I don't think so actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, um, what's your perspective? I know, so I know you're not a bass player, and you also don't know as much about bass. But what are your perspective on on different basses and stuff like that? Um, it's not something I've ever really have had the luxury of experimenting with. Mm -hmm. Um, most of the time, I feel like the bass is always overlooked. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's, I hate the stereotype of like the, the idiot bass player not taking Mm -hmm. care of stuff, but i more often than not in the level of stuff that I'm dealing with that is the case yeah um but then again i've also had like experiences where just like when the bass player just has like a good setup i don't really have Mm -hmm. to do a whole lot to it um i I said like i i grew up listening to like punk rock stuff so the the p bass sound is very like comforting to me i mean you can't go wrong with it i think that's i mean you know i feel like yeah i've heard it said once that like the jazz bass is like a slap Mm-hmm. Or, uh, or I forget how it was, but someone said like the jazz bass is like a punch to the face, and then the P bass is like a karate chop to the throat. Like yeah, no, I think are, that's great. Yeah. yeah, and then I think like uh, like a music man is a kick in the nuts. Yeah, <laughs> I mean I like I I don't or know. like Warwick's. Those are great too. I like Warwick. Yeah, I mean there's not when bass tones are done right. I I just like all of them. Like I don't really. Yeah. But I've also really just started taking the approach of like whatever serves the song best. Like I don't oh, yeah. necessarily and I, care I think, about what the particular instrument is. You know, or... if I if I wanted a bass, if like you know, if we were doing a record, and you know, I would like to have like ten different bases to choose from. To yeah. be honest, but you know, at the end of the day, we probably only have one or two, and so you can get away with using. I think you know it's kind of like I feel like bass. You have a little more flexibility than guitar because guitar, it's like. If you're doing a country song or something like that, and you're trying to get that chicken picking twang, you need a telecaster. You need a telecaster. You're not, or you know, maybe any other type of single coil. But like, if you have humbuckers, you're not gonna get it. Whereas in bass, I feel like bass because it's that bridge between the drums and the guitar. Yeah, you can kind of finagle a little bit here and there. Yeah, you know, you might have a humbucking bass, but you know, with your tone controls and stuff like that, you can kind of maneuver something that fits that blends in. Um, Yeah, I feel that. most of the bases I encounter are pretty good. Um, but then again, there's always those weird, um, just certain people that don't mm-hmm. really know what they're doing. A lot of people will like, we'll talk about it later when we get to, uh, when we get to amp setups, but yeah, no, I don't, there's certain like acoustic guitars and stuff that I see that I'm just like, oh, I hate that thing. But you can't really <laughs> control any of that afterwards. Yeah. Um, but I don't like. I'll never see a bass and be like, I'll be thing honest. Sucks. I'm not a huge fan of a lot of like the budget bass stuff. Like, uh, 
I really like Squire guitars, but I yeah. have never really come across and le- except for like the higher end Squire basses, but a lot of like the yeah. two three hundred dollar models. Some that are like the electronics and everything like that. It's just very even with new yeah. strings, it's very dull, and you also don't have a lot of control. I feel like the tone controls on the bass. You know, if you've got like right. an active EQ or even just switching between pickups. Um, Subtle moves can make a huge difference down the road mm-hmm. um, with the bass versus guitar. You typically don't have, you know, you've just got your volume and your tone and then pickup switching. But with bass, you know, a lot of them have some type of EQing on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you've got the, the, the pickup blending where you're doing a blend of the pickups, not necessarily just one, both, or the other. Yeah. Um, I feel like that is a huge factor. And I feel like a lot of the cheaper basses, you get real stuck, which is it's very just boring stuff boring t- sounds it just doesn't pop like like yeah. higher end basses do so it's like i don't know i would much rather have if a, if, a, if a, a bassist came in i would much rather have them have one really great bass that has a couple different options with it mm-hmm. with with its pickups versus five completely different but all very low grade basses because at the end of the day they're yeah. all just not gonna I hate saying this word because somebody used to say it to us, but they're just not going to pop the same way. Yeah, well, there's, uh, as we talked about it, I think I said with microphones or any gear in general, it's what what I call like the threshold of acceptability. Mm -hmm. And like once you cross that, the specifics matter, but they Mm -hmm. matter less. Yeah. Um, And there's just like a lot of times for sessions that I've uh, been like an assistant engineer on or stuff that I've gotten hired to mix, most of the time I'm not getting it's always just base DI. Like, I feel yeah. like this is my sole opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with live stuff, I'm kind of limited in channels sometimes, so I don't ever really get to, like, mic a bass cab, but I like I like a blend of, of DI and mm-hmm. a mic'd cab. Um, but, yeah, it's just like, I think we talked about this, like, driving to a gig one day. Oh, yeah. Just oh, like, I've got a lot I just want to fucking that. put a mic on a cab. Yeah, like, no, I, I... And every time, as, in like, an assistant on some sessions, I would, like, well, we could do that. And they're like, yeah, but we got the DI. We'll just deal with it later. And she's like, but we could have so much more fun mm-hmm. with... I, I, yeah, I hate just DI. Now, I will always take a bass DI. Oh, because absolutely. there's part of the tone that you get by blending the DI with the amp that it's, like... I guarantee you almost everybody's favorite bass tone is a blend of the DI with a live amp. Yeah. Because there is just something there about the DI. But, like, I do. I hate just... It's so funny. Guitars, I don't mind using, uh, uh, you know, plug-in guitar amps. I don't mind taking a DI for that. But there's something about the bass that it's like... I think it's just because it's so commonplace to just... We'll just take a bass DI. That yeah. It's like, I miss... I love tracking different bass amps. I mean, I'm going to talk about it with one of my picks. But, like, you know... So many bass tones, guitars, because you're doing so much stereo stacking. Yeah. Um, there is a there is a lot of creating guitar tones by blending different you know different microphones on different speakers on different cabs, but through different amp um, Yeah. Through, but with bass too, it's so important. A lot of people don't think about. It. They just take the DI, and it's like no. I mean, you know, at, uh, I forget the engineer's name, but he did the Dirt album by Allison Chains. Um, oh, is that Dave Jordan? It might have been, yeah. He's got like, he had like six different amps going to get yeah. some of the bass tones on there. It's like a mix of the DI plus an amp peg plus like a rat distortion pedal going through something through a GK. Yeah, and then through- um had a, uh, there's a piece of gear that I want. It's actually an ART, A-R-T. 
Oh, okay. Bass, I think it's called the Night Bass, and that's Ooh. how they got the uh, like the chorusy effect on uh, one of my song picks. Oh, so. hell yeah! Oh, I hope uh, we didn't pick the same ones. We might have. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, God, the '90s had some great bass tones, some really awesome bass tones. I love how everybody's bass tone throughout the '90s, like on the grunge guys, were all different. They all had different guitar yeah. tones. See, that's the thing, like. Grunge is such a weird movement because none of those bands, in my opinion, sound like each other. Right. It like, was just like they, they were... all fit together. It's so weird. They all do fit together. I would go, yeah, they're all grunge bands. Yeah. But, but you wouldn't, I mean, maybe people that don't like the music, but like, it all sounds the same. But like, I genuinely feel there's like so much nuance. There's yeah. so many things. Whereas like the early 2000s, all the pop punk, no, those bands, I love a lot of them, but they do all sound the exact same. They have the same tones, the same singer, like yeah. all of them sound the same. Whereas those grunge guys, it's like, okay, yeah, they all had gravelly voices. And they all were dirty and wore flannel. Yeah, and like that's pretty much it. But like Chris Cornell sounds so different than Lane Staley. It sounds so different than Kirk They all have such different distinct styles. And so, I mean, that with their bass tones, all of them have such different bass tones. It's crazy. Yeah. Like every single one of those bass players, love them, love them, love them. Like you could just, we could just make a playlist out of that and you'd have. Yeah. So many different bass tones. I mean, just, I was listening to Dirt last night and I actually, I had to pick which song I wanted because there's so many. Mm. I was like, oh, I don't want to just do the entire album. But I listened to one song, I was like, damn, that's a great bass tone. And then I got to another one, like, this is completely damn, different. that's a great yeah. bass tone. And I imagine it's probably just a different blend of all the amps that they got. Yeah, they're probably um, doing the EQ on fader thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it's great. I, I love that. If, you know, if I could have a, shitload of different bass amps like i would do it but you know and that's the thing if you do just take the di maybe you don't have maybe you don't have the ability in your apartment to record a bunch right. of different bass amps you know because you know bass amps are very loud yes um especially because that low frequency well then blend a bunch of different you amp know, plugins sims. Yeah. Amp sims. yeah like i do that all the time like in pre-pro like yeah. if because sometimes you know if i if i am trying to save time um you know i might not track the bass right then and like track i might not mic a cabinet right then and there i might just take a di and i'm going to go back and, and re -amp re -amp it later yeah. but at least in the pre-production stage while working with the guys we can you start figuring idea, it out yeah i've got an idea i'll pull up a bunch of different plugins and i'll blend them and go okay this is what i'm going for and what i'm going to try to recreate with real amps right you know? also fun trick uh running your bass through a guitar amp to get some really cool different distorted sounds speaking of pv um i picked this trick up from i think sylvia massey Phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, anybody who's into phenomenal recording... with an F. Yes, big capital F. Phenomenal. Um, mm -hmm. Anybody who's into recording should get her book called Recording Unhinged. There's so much yeah. uh, knowledge in that book, and it was probably the best thirty bucks I've ever spent. Or how, what, like whatever the price is, just yeah, go on to Amazon right now and buy it. Um, Screw your kid's college fund. Yeah. Get this book. Um, my first guitar amp when I was a little kid was a 15-watt PV Rage. Nice. Um, and I was, like, going to get rid of it, and then I saw in the book where she's like, I'll get a distorted bass sound by running bass through the PV Rage <laughs> and just put a, put a 421 in front of it. And people nice. would be like, what is that distorted bass sound? Like, how? Like what sans amp and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, it's a 421 through this tiny little PV speaker. The only thing I miss about Pro Tools is the sans amp plug -in. Oh, yeah. It's magic. It's we have some uh, plug-in talk later. On. Oh yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean, you know, just get really creative with your with your bass tones with in terms of like finding different things. Lots of cool distortion yeah. tones you can get from a lot of different things, but also realizing that your bass tone, I feel like more so than a guitar tone. Guitar, I feel like you can 
get away with getting a really great tone from one amp from one speaker, the stereo pair, and you can get a really thick tone. You know, you match yeah. it. But I feel like with bass, guitar also translates better through most uh, yeah. speakers because mm-hmm. most speakers are all inherently mid-range heavy. Yeah. So guitars are inherently a mid-range instrument. Believe it or not. So stop turning that dial down, <laughs> please. But I feel like with bass, like all the great bass tones are. 90% of the time are a big blend of different stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, because when any you get, whatever you get, I mean, up until recently with a lot of the dark class stuff, yeah, you know, most of your distortion on bass would kill all your low end, and so then you had to blend it yeah. with, you know, a clean amp. Now, not so much anymore, but I still like that principle of, you know, having a track that's all, you yeah. know, that's pretty much like high-passed, um, and it's all the distortion that you want, and you blend that in within your body of your clean bass, you know, out of like an Ampeg yeah. or a Galleon Kruger or something like that. I learned a cool trick. Um, I've never tried it out. I've been I've been wanting to. Where um, you plug a bass pedal through a wah that's like at like fifty percent, mm-hmm. and then on the high E string, you play the root note of whatever the chord's being played. Ooh, and that's it, cool. Yeah, we should try that. I tried it once with Jim on a session that got scrapped mm. so that's a lie i i've recorded it but i've never actually mixed it in because the person okay. didn't like the vibe of what jim did and i was i think i know what band you're talking mildly about. irritated because i thought that like it was some of jim's like mine and jim's like best creative work i yeah. mean obviously me and the madman work very well together <laughs> as a team but like that session in particular was like, i love layering bass now obviously yeah. i don't want to layer like everything on the low e string but right. you know, I think it's really cool to do some really fun things where you've got just your, your you know your root note that you're playing that's going to yeah. be like the boost frequency, but then using the higher strings and dubbing in some either just layered octaves, or even some melody stuff like getting really creative. And that's more so an arrangement thing. I feel yeah, like more so some... than a production element. But you know, uh, actually, I recently did, I'm working on this this thing where we were doing this kind of this very doomy song, and I was like, let's just you know, I, I just want to see what this sounds like. We layered every single octave of the B. On, that we could find on the bass. That was and nice. That was pretty cool. I don't know what it's going to end up being like in the mix. It might not even really notice it, but I feel like in just the raw tracking when we layered it yeah. and then I, I volume balanced it, it did tonally create this thing where it was like, whoa, what's happening there? It's pretty cool. And I think it also helps okay. because the the arrangement of the song is already not that dense as it is. It's yeah. it's like a Doom song. It's just... Boom, down, down. So yeah. having those single notes just be... Five octaves. I yeah, mean, I think it's really only three octaves just repeated across the bass, but because it's on different strings, it does have a slightly different timber. It's yeah. really cool. Well, we were, because we did the drum session with Andy last week. Andy Ham. He oh. told me he's really pissed off that whenever we talk about him, he does we don't say shout out. So, oh, shout, shout out, out to Andy. Andy. Um, and Because <laughs> he was asking about microphones and stuff, and I was talking about it. Like, I just found it funny because I watch a lot of audio stuff. Like, it's just, I'm interested. Do you? Yeah. Do you ever think about becoming an audio engineer? Sometimes. Yeah, I think that'd be kind I'm of trying. Cool. It'd be cool if we like took the knowledge that we learned on this podcast and like, like <laughs> applied put it, it to our it. real life. Yeah, and, like tried to like record people. That'd be that fun. would be fun. Um, yeah, it's been uh, you know it was just a, a mild interest that spiraled out of control. Um, <laughs> just like crack. <laughs> I have a. I have a. What I have a twelve band EQ on my home stereo system, so I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, 
No, but they're just like people would like lust after like microphones that have been in sessions, and it was like one of the Beatles engineers. He was just like John Lennon had an idea. Yeah. <laughs> and my options were I could run up three flights of stairs and f- see if the microphone that I knew would be probably better served for this purpose, and then I would have to file out the paperwork to say that this microphone is in this studio right now. And then I'd have to run back down three flights of stairs and plug it all in and route it to the console. And by that point, John Lennon's pissed off and has left the studio. Or I could just put whatever microphone I had plugged in that I knew would work and put it in. Like, I just feel like with... And I think we're the, the pendulum's kind of swinging back to, to the middle ground where it should mm. be. Is it like everyone got so concerned with like perfection, perfection, perfection? Because we have tools that allow us to just achieve this. Yeah, like, and it sounds like shit. <laughs> yeah, like not enough. Not enough people listen are, to any pop song from like 2000 to 2010, and it's painful. <laughs> yeah, I just long to make. I should have just condensed that side tangent. Just be like, not enough people are just like, fuck it, that might be cool. Yeah. <laughs> also, can I like bring up how as much as we don't, we might not have all of the amazing tools that you know million dollar studios have when you have your own studio you don't have to sign shit out yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool you just be like yeah well you know it's covered in beer but I yeah I sign just it like, people just need to embrace the. Eh, that might be cool yeah cool. right i mean it's we've got all the tools at our disposal that's like you can get great sounds and mm-hmm. again great is so subjective because you know there are some records to me that sound like they were recorded in a dumpster fire you know orgy but tons <laughs> of people are like this record is amazing and i'm just like okay but it's all subjective you know yeah, I, I feel like I've I've heard some songs that are like engineered and overly engineered and produced to perfection, and you listen to it, and you're like, this doesn't sound fun. Like, yeah, it's like right? you can hear that it wasn't f- like. I don't it's know. almost like doing a school project. Like, yeah, you're just it's like, like, and then I've got to do this, and I've got to do like, like the new. Um, I I used to like them. I don't really care for their music much anymore. I mean, like I still listen to that that first record, but Falling in Reverse, like their new uh-huh. stuff. Like they they released this new song called Zombie and it, it's kind of like um what I was just singing the cranberry oh zombie and copyright <laughs> yeah um but it reminds me of that uh that band um we are Autobots where you remember oh, that? Yeah, uh, yeah. Gemini Syndrome where like you know the songwriting's not bad for what it is like it's meant to be a radio hit which you know yeah. Yeah, all opinions aside like that's a that's a genre no matter what. Whether it's yeah. metal or, or or pop or it's it's its own genre. Radio <laughs> hit is a genre. Like so, so many memes of that song back yeah. in the day. But like this is like it's like okay cool yeah it's catchy it does that thing. But yeah. I was listening I was like this would be such a better song if it wasn't so hyper produced. Like all credit due to whoever did it because that's a shitload of work that went into that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not knocking. I mean the, it is it talent. is so. I mean when I when I edit music and I edit stuff to a grid it's. Nowhere near what whoever did this. I mean, yeah. this is you hear this and you're like, it doesn't sound real. And I, yeah. I don't even mean like auto tune. It's just it, it sound. I don't even know how how they got it to sound so perfect. Yeah. But to me, I'm like, the writing of the song is not that bad. I feel like it would sound better if there was a little bit of movement to it. If it's actually like the guitars are so edited. I'm like, I don't think a real human being played those guitars. I don't think. I think the only real thing on there is the singing. That then is layered so much and so finely tuned that it's just, I'm like, it's a little nauseating. Like that's one yeah. of my things why I'm not a huge fan of, of the the I, I don't know the subgenre, but like the EDM stuff where it's it's all computer stuff that it's yeah. like, if you li- if you listen to you know a bass string, 
and you look at it, you know, if you look at the tuning on a bass string as you play it, it oscillates back and forth. It's never perfectly a B. It's going between, you know, different mm -hmm. scents of that note. But a lot of synthesized instruments are perfectly that B the entire time. Yeah. And now, just for my ear, I can hear that, and it skeeves me out. It makes me a little nauseous because there's no actual movement to it. And so that's why I'm not a huge fan of the over-electronic stuff at times. Um, I think... I don't know where I was going. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think... As much as I give credit to those people that that do that kind of stuff, where they edit the hell out of shit so much, like it's it's skill, it's talent. Yeah. I don't think I could produce something like that song. It is, it's no. insane. But I'm not a huge fan of it. I think I would like that song more if there was just a little bit of realism to it. Like it doesn't have to be a a, a Black Flag record, yeah. but you know, just a little bit of human error can be nice. Yeah, because then, I don't know, like you see some of those bands live, and it's not that they're not great, but it's just like, mm, we can tell that. Oh, yeah. Well, I also have a problem. One of my favorite bands, I've, well, I I was going to buy tickets to go see them, but I actually changed my mind because I watched some live videos. And mm -hmm. now, to preface this, my band uses backtracks. You know, we don't have a synth player, so we've got synthesized backtracks, you know? Yeah, and, but your whole live show isn't your backtracks. Like, yeah, and I feel like there is there a just to get, well, because it's like you said, you like live shows to feel kind of more like the album. Like you, yeah, you understand both sides. Actually, really, all three sides of studio recording, being a musician, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, you know enough live sound stuff that like you know what's going to like. Yeah, and it's like you know, I I honestly like I you know I think there's you know some bands have even more drops live are sick. Oh yeah, you know, and it's like. I don't know any synth players. I would love to have one. Like one of yeah. my favorite bands, Haken. Like they don't have any backtracks. Yeah. Like because they they have a synth player, but they've got two guitar players. They've got a drum. It's like I don't. We don't. We don't know a synth player that you know. We Five. Could find. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's like we have to use backtracks. If I if we had a synth player, I probably wouldn't use backtracks. We'd still play to a click. But yeah. Um, but I watched this band where I was. I was just like, I was watching. I was like. I don't think anybody's playing. Like it's like so much of it was backtracks, and then the drums were all triggering samples. Yeah. There were no actual real drum tones. The only person that really sounded like they were actually playing in the room was the singer. Yeah. Everybody else, I was like, even if they are playing, like it sounds too much like the album. Like it yeah. literally just sounds like the album is being played over the PA. And so I mm -hmm. think, I think there's a balance to be had where it's like, yeah, you know, but there are some bands too that use a lot of backtracks. Like Periphery has a lot of backtracks, and I yeah. think they sound great live because the backbone is still them playing. So there is still that. It's not going to sound the exact same in this club as it does here, but this band, I've watched them in a couple different of the venues that they've recorded. I'm like, it sounds like the exact same performance every time, and I don't like that. I yeah, don't know. I feel like there's, yeah. More power to them, I guess. What do I know? I also feel like so many sound, live sound engineers don't mix the bass properly. It's just Why'd low Why'd you end. point at me? I don't know. I didn't point at you, but you're a sound engineer, man. You're part of the problem. I am part of the problem. I, you know, I feel like... There's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of uh, afterthought to the bass. Yeah, like, it's frustrating. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a live sound guy, so I, I really can't... I don't, I don't have suggestions. I don't know. I also know it, it, it yeah. is... Even more so than a studio situation, live bass is very difficult mm -hmm. um, because, you know, if you've got a super dense band, if you've got a sparse band, it's a little bit easier. You know, like for what we do with Nick, I feel like my bass can always, you can always hear the articulation of my bass because... There's a lot of space in you know, music, though. Yeah, it's, it's not just the, it's not just holding down the low end, you know, it's like, oh, we are in this, you know, a lot more melodic, you know, 
vibe where it's like everybody's got their place in it. Yeah. Versus you know a dense rock mix. The the bass in, at the show is just there holding down the, the fatness. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it also just goes back to the blending. Um, I know a lot of live guys will do what I would do in the studio if I had the ability. Not really. The, I have the ability, just the opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm. Where it's you have sub and then your mid-range bass yeah. on two different faders. Oh, I love that. Um, I think it's great. On a lot of digital consoles now, you can duplicate channels. So I think I'm gonna. I might start doing that because mm-hmm. um, I'm limited with a lot of stuff that I run. Where it's two stages. Was that a pun? Limited. Yes, um, <laughs> I'm. I'm limited as far as inputs because it's usually two stages sharing yeah. the same console. So I'm lucky if I get 16 but then I realized that I have 32 faders 24 or 32 faders on the layout of the console so there's no reason I can't just digitally make channels 1 and 2 a kick drum and then I can do sub and attack and then do the same thing for bass and Mm -hmm. etc 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 yeah what um let's talk about mics what kind of mics do you like using Uh, bass cabs when you have the opportunity can we talk about Amps and cabs, just a, a wee bit oh, more yeah, before yeah, we yeah. Dump, uh, jump into that. Because um, we talked about it earlier. Uh, si, why do bass players always bring in cabs that have blown speakers? I don't know because I've never done that. Well, <laughs> I wasn't talking um, about you. I don't know. I'm I talking think, about you, the I, listener. You know, I'm going to make a wild guess, and that is because... So many people are moving away from bass cabs because, you know, most live guys that I've experienced don't mic their bass cab. And it's only stage volume. Bastard. And so a lot of guys just go to the music shop and buy the old bass cabs that somebody got rid of and they happen to have blown speakers and they don't really know. And that's why. Yeah, that's that's gonna be my guess. Just, it's probably just some sort of, of disconnect. Because um, I feel like bass cabs have changed so much in the last 30 years versus yeah. guitar cabs because it's like they've been able to make them smaller and lighter and still retain... All the same sound characteristics. Like, yeah. I mean, dude, my Bugera 2x10, although it's not as loud, it sounds great. It rips. And, like, honestly, for so many scenarios, what would you rather carry? An Ampeg 8x10 or my little Bugera 2x10? Also, what's with all these guys on rock bills all bring wanting to use their 8x10 Ampeg cab? It's like, bro, I don't just I don't know. stop. It's like... It's cool, it's fun, but... Foreshadowing to a potential future episode series. I don't know if I've ever heard an 8x10 cranked up all the way. Like, if you run a full throttle into an 8x10. Like, guitar players, yeah, you guys are loud. Guitar was loud, but, like, I don't know if anybody fully understands what an 8x10 can fucking do. (laughs) If you were to, like, just pin the gain and pin the output on your amp, like... I hope think, you have a wireless unit. I, you know, I through. don't believe that nuclear bombs exist. I believe that we just flew a plane over with Japan an with an 8x10 and just cranked it all the way up, and that's what destroyed those cities. Yeah, that's a, that could happen. Um, just at 10 hertz. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I like your, your 210 Bugera, because then I don't ever need bass in the monitor. It's just yeah. there. And it's, it's not... There. That it's so like painfully loud. It's just it's a clear low end. Yeah, it's usually, so tight. Those yeah. like be- shout out to Bugera. <laughs> like I am a Bugera fanboy. Like I know a lot of people be like they're not the same. They're missing this and that. But 
I love them. I, I've never had any complaints when you bring that thing. Dude, it's crazy. My my first, like, I'll call it my first real band that turn I was it, in. Turn it sideways, point it across the stage, so yeah. then it's not spilling out into the audience, <laughs> and it's it's a base stage yeah. monitor for everybody. Dude, it's killer. But um, my my first experience with Vugera, and I'm trying to get sponsored here, so, you know, <laughs> hook me up, Vugera. But it's really funny. My old bandmate, he had a uh, he had two Vugeras. It was... um. I can't remember what the original model was. It was like their their three XL or something like that. It was just their own proprietary. They do a lot of like clones, clones yeah. kind of. They don't not really clones, but they are like they're clones, but they're their versions of it. You know, they're not trying to exactly replicate like the Marshall or the fifty one fifty. But this model that he had was like their own high gain version. Yeah. And you know, he always like Bugara's great, man. It's awesome. Like people don't give him enough credit. And I thought he was just being a douchebag. Is <laughs> that like um, oh, what is it called? The oh, there's that that bias where you, you bought it so you think it's yeah good. What right is that called? it's not confirmation bias it's um buyer remorse <laughs> no that's when you buy something oh i forget what it's called but, but there is an actual term for like i bought this so it's great because yeah. i bought it yeah but like regardless and like i never thought it sounded bad but like you know and then i brought in my marshall and he's like i don't know man the burger just sounds better i was like well you're just being a dick yeah. um and i didn't i didn't think one sounded better than the other i thought he sounded different but you know, now that I've 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 gotten into them, one day I I picked up the Bugera two by ten cabinet and I was like, dude, this thing sounds great. And recently I've played on some of their their amp heads, and I'm like, damn, that asshole is right. These are amazing. Like yeah. I'm sure there are duds. You know, they, I don't, I've read that they don't have the same quality control as like some others. But yeah. you know, when you get a good one, it's like, damn. Like I, especially their clones. Like does it sound? Do their clones sound exactly like the original? No. No, but in some cases I think they sound better. You know, I think yeah, they sound like a, a more different. modern, updated version yeah. where it's like you still get that characteristic, but you've got more control. So, I think yeah. they're really cool. I've I haven't ever got really, some great bass heads. I haven't really had any complaints when uh, Bugera comes across my way. Like, yeah. just, I, I um I like them. I've got a lot of I, I think I don't know when I have bass heads. I don't really. There's so many that I like. Mm. Um, for all different things. I mean, Ampeg, the you know, Ampeg Classic, SVT, like, you, you can't go wrong with that. Like, honestly, whatever session you're in, if I were to say, you know, if I could only have one bass amp, I'd probably go with a ver- some Ampeg head. Um, yeah. Just because it, it's such a staple sound that it's just pleasing to everybody's ear. It, Is it perfect for everything? No, you can get more specific with stuff, but if I had to go with just one rig, it would be a, a, an Ampeg rig. It's it's a good platform to get you close because you can always manipulate it after the fact if you yeah. have to. Or, or running pedals beforehand. Beforehand, yeah. Um, but I, I've been a, recently, I, I'm a real big fan. I've had some experience with Galleon Kruger stuff. G&K, yeah. Um, I really like that amp that Bob has. I don't know which one it is, but he's got it in the warehouse. And that thing sounds great. It's got a, a bark to it. Is it a G&K? Yeah. Um, I don't know if the cab is, but the head is. I think he has an amp peg. Cab. Yeah, I think it is a, an eight by ten. Eight by ten, yeah. But the head is great. Like yeah, G, I, G and K's, they do. They don't have that 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 tight bottom thing that Ampeg does. Ampeg is you can't get that Ampeg sound on anything else. No. But the G and K is, I would say, like it is similar. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's next door to it, but it's got this like this bark to it that I really like. Oh, one of my favorite um, bass players is a G and K. Uh, who? Justin Chancellor of Tool. Oh, uh, does he play G and K? Yep. Oh man, that's awesome. He's got a great bass tone. I, think it's G- I don't think it's Hughes and Kett. I'm pretty sure it's G and K. I've never messed with Hughes and Kett or stuff. Do they make bass amps? I thought they were just guitar amps. I think I they do because I'm know. pretty sure Flea plays a Hughes and Kett. Not player. a big Flea fan. I'll I'll take the flack for it. Shoot uh, me down. So I don't. I'm, I'm I just. I mean, don't get wrong. Like, uh, what is it? 
He's funky. He's. Got I had a to good teach the uh, Californication baseline the other day. Great baseline. Like he's got great baseline, but I don't. I, I it just. I don't know. I also don't like that band at I'm all. I'm not. <laughs> I I could go on a rant about that band, but I don't know why. I I just feel like they are just tap water, man. That's my thing. They're just they're tap water. <laughs> like, not a fan. Yeah, I mean they have but a couple. Base they have a couple songs that I enjoy, mm-hmm. but it's I can't listen to more than three or four. Yeah. Like if you put on, there's sometimes where I'm like, I'm, I can vibe to this Red Hot Chili Peppers song right now. I but like if their- it's like more than three in a row yeah. it's just like yep I've heard this I like their cover of Fire by Jimi Hendrix I like that one. let me stand next to you fire they, they funk uh, it up it's cool the higher ground that yeah, cover is yeah, great cool. it's one of those few anything covers. that's not their song they do a decent <laughs> job of <laughs> oh, oh shots, <laughs> shots. but um I also um big fan of the Dark Glass stuff I yeah. feel like I'm, I've kind of you know gone away from them recently just because that's like the sound that everybody in the metal community has right now you know so if you're trying to make a mainstream metal bass tone a uh dingwall bass into a dark glass and there you go i do like um, the dingwall basses they no i think they sound great my only problem with dingwall is that at least the name no it's it's my problem also with this guitar company called uh aristides is that they sound great but at least from what i've heard and maybe it's just because everybody's going for the same thing I haven't heard a lot of versatility in Dingwall. I, I feel like everybody that I hear play Dingwall, it's got the same exact sound. Whereas I have been tricked with jazz basses. I have been tricked with, right. you know, Warwick's like, wait, you're telling me that's a that's not a jazz bass? Or you're telling me that that is a jazz bass? Like, I've been told that my jazz bass on, like, on our most recent record, people are like, yo, what, what bass are you using? Is that a, uh, you know, is that a music man? I'm like, no, it's a jazz bass. It's like, what? Yeah. Like, because I feel like... You know, granted, my bass is it is a high end bass. You know, yeah. I, I put some money and some time into it, um, as you should. But so you know, I am going to have that versatility that you're not going to get out of a cheaper bass. But Dingwalls are not cheap; they are no. more expensive. They're like you. I think you have to spend like three grand on them. But I've not heard, and maybe I just haven't done enough diving yeah, yeah, into yeah. people that aren't metal players playing them. But to me, they all sound the exact same tone. Which, if you're going for that tone, great. It's but, the thing, yeah. But I feel like I can get that tone out of some other things. So I don't know. Maybe I would be, if I if I got to actually play one, I might yeah. change my mind. Um, this is a opinion from afar. Yeah. But uh, Schechter makes some really good bases. I do like Schechter I, bases. Uh, I had one. I wish I hadn't sold it. Um, but they make some really good stuff. I had a student the other day that came in with, with a really nice one. It had crazy preamp section on it, lots of different controls. It honestly sounded like a dingwall. <laughs> I was like... I was like, yo, how much was that? He's like, I think it was like 900 bucks. I'm like, yep. so $2,000 less than a Dingwall, and that sounds pretty damn close. I like Schecter. I don't... I am I don't, a huge fan of Schecter no recently. No hate once on they, Schecter. Uh, once they got past the metalcore scene where everybody was playing them... I was just about to say the them, thing, yeah. And you know what? Good on them because they they they're demogra- they had a demographic and they, they, Leaned they nurtured it, it and yeah. they're like, sure, you know, everybody's crab corn it with our Schecters, no problem. But then they got big enough that then they could afford to do some R&D and yeah. come up with some really awesome products. Like, I want to get their uh, semi hollow body, the Corsair. They made yeah. it like ten years ago. They're reissuing it, doing a new version. I've I'm, watched some videos. I'm like, damn. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they have a. Um, I think it's Schecter. They have it's a seven string Telecaster style body, yep. but it's in the Adam Jones of Tool like silver burst finish. Yeah, and I'm just like, I want to get that. Dude, I I I love them. I'm l- loving these companies that are are. 
a lot of these companies like we're talking about, like Bugera and, you know, Schechter, they're really kind of coming from like a place where you're like, oh, they're just this. And now it's like, no, actually, they're doing a lot of really cool stuff if you're willing to do something that's not on the name brand, you know? Yeah, I dig, I dig Schechter's. They, they have a set, I want to get, I just want to mess around with the seven string because I have the, I love Fender guitars. Like the Telecaster are just like, it's, everybody should own one. Like I think they're, most awesome guitar. I'm getting ever. ready to pull the trigger on a um, Squire Telly, but I've never really stuck with guitar because I've always wanted to learn like heavier stuff. Yeah, a la why Jim Roots, one of my favorite guitar mm-hmm. players. Um, but yeah, no, they have a seven string that it's like a two hundred dollars. Get out of my get out of my frequency range, bruh. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> sorry that I want to noodle around when I'm bored. You can't play that B. That's my range. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. I love, I love. The lower you can tune, the better. Yeah. I love that. Well, I like, you know. What did that sound like in your ears? Uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like Jabba the Hutt, but. Do you think I hit 10 hertz there somewhere? No, I don't, no. Think, I don't think you. I don't think you Not even quite close. got there. Yeah. It'd be impressive. You need to do like, I don't even think the best like. <laughs> <laughs> just 15 minutes of me trying to hit 10 hertz. <laughs> That's and it's just not some real nasty ASMAR. ASMAR. Jeez. Yeah, in case you ever wanted to know what uh, Phoenix's Adam Apple mic from the (laughs) outside sounded like, you've heard it. Um, You only have one week to listen to it, and then we're putting that on the Patreon. (laughs) Yeah, so we talked about it. Uh, Don't bring anything broken or buzzing into the studio. Uh, Proper gain staging is important. Um, And then my only other point for amp setup is proper EQ settings on your amp. And to me, that means just keep that mid-range in there because I yeah. know you're a bass. Uh-huh. I know it's a bass instrument, but you need those. You at least need the harmonics. You need those low mids and you need the high mids, like yeah. a good blend of them. I mean, that is not your fundamental tone, but mm-hmm. the harmonics that are in that frequency range are very important. Well, that's also how you can... Though I feel like those two, you know, if, you've got, if you're looking at your bass amp and you've got like a bass knob, low mid, high mid, and treble, which I ought to be, you know, they're varying degrees... I feel like, yes, your bass and your treble, that's, you know, you can get a lot of cool distinct tones. Like the, the what is that? Like the the ultra boost of the the low and high on the Ampegs give you that Ampeg yes. sound. Yes. Other ba- other companies have their own version of it. But your low mids and your high mids are what either get that bass style of blending in with the guitar because there is that style like in a lot of modern rock music where you don't want to necessarily, he- they're not, they're not mixing the bass so that you hear it clearly by itself. It is meant to just uh, support the bottom end of the, the guitars, guitar, yeah. um, and you're going to get that by you know boosting or pulling low uh, your mids. Yeah. You know, that or if you're going for more of a hey, I want to hear the bass, not just feel it. I want to hear it as a distinct instrument. That's also you're going to get. It. You're not going to get it by boosting the treble knob and the bass knob. You know, you're going to get yeah. that by tweaking your mids because um, mm-hmm. that's where it's going to either then cut through or it's going to blend in with the guitar. Yeah, mid range do be important. I'm so glad we're past the smiley face phase of, of everything. EQs. Yeah. You know, it's just eh. rough times. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird. I, I feel like it's one of those where like, it's a beginner audio thing. Cause I was very much that when I first started mixing and I feel like it's just because it creates space in the mix, even though it's detrimental to the mix. Yeah. And now for the last, I would say, 18 months or so, I have been like, 
I'm a notorious just mid-range booster. Mids are so important. Well, there's that Eric Valentine video on YouTube where he's talking about getting the like Queens of the Stone Age guitar sound for mm-hmm. Songs of the Deaf, and he's like, and a mid-range boost on this pedal. And then we plugged it into this pedal that had an EQ section, and I boosted the mid-range. And then we, <laughs> we got to the amp, and I dimed the mid-range. And then now I'm... <laughs> In the console, and look, on this preamp that we did, what do you know, like a fifth mid-range boost, mm-hmm. and, and those guitar sounds are awesome. I'll check out that record. Yeah, I think I think the reason why he did that is they, they ran all of their guitars through bass heads. Oh, uh, so there wasn't a lot of mid-range to begin with, so yeah. that's why he could get away with right. that much. That much, thing. yeah. Because you do get to a point where all of a sudden it just becomes... Cloudy? Yeah, and not even cloudy, just like boxy and like... Yeah, there's, rectangular. There's a, a record. You get like this <laughs> sound. <laughs> I don't have a sound pedal, so I have to create them. Yes, well, uh, we'll get one eventually. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'll withhold this comment for off air, but Ooh. We'll talk about it. There's the very cloudy record that's been released recently. And Ooh. It's just like I, I want to hear. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, also, I uh, compression pedals. Get a compressor. Get a compressor Ooh. pedal. Um, compression you know, on the bass. Do let a uh, you know run that into your bass head. Learn how, learn to dial that in for whatever you're doing. Um, you know, we could go into a million different compressor settings, but yeah, um, and just you know, because I feel like bass can be compressed a lot, no matter what genre you're in. Yes, um, that it's going to get compressed a lot, uh, just because of how, and I feel like that's also because a lot of bass players like we talked about with their technique um unless they're playing with a pick they're not their dynamics are all over the place when they're not intentionally yeah um and so you know adding a compressor to that chain can help um even before Mm -hmm. you're hitting the board um like i'm a big proponent of of processing to tape uh you know because that means less work for me on the back end and it also starts pulling the picture together immediately so then you're like oh wow i might not have heard this because i would have been thinking about well i gotta compress the bass instead i can just hear it now as the performance i can hear it tonally um and then part of your tone can come from your compressor you know like um i did get tracks to mix once where the bass was just it was compressed on the way in but it was like compressed on the way in i wonder who sent you that Yes. Yeah, was it? No. Oh. <laughs> I like that, the mental telepathy there. When we're big enough one day, we can say names, because then we won't feel like we're... Yeah, what are you going to do, huh? Yeah, we'll be like, well, here's $3,000. You're welcome. <laughs> nah. Nah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the uh, the bass player for... Uh, oh, crap, what's their band name? Tesseract. Tesseract? Yeah, Tesseract. He's got a crazy bass tone. Uh, what is it? Tamos? Ramos? No, Will Ramos is the singer for Lorna Shore. Amos? I think his name's Amos. But uh, he's got a really great video about his setup, um, about with all his different compressors and his different DI boxes on his on his pedal board that he doesn't even run to a cabinet. Um, but his compressor, like the, the two compressors that he runs are so integral. Integral? Intri- integral? In- integral. In- important. Yeah, I don't know why I can't in- say that word. In- I know intri- what word I'm trying to say. I think it's integral. Yeah, integral. In- For some reason, it just sounds wrong. But that is a word, yeah. Yeah. Um, are are so important to the the tonal character of a sound. They're not just. It's that thing that people use compression for. Where they're like, well, what does the compressor do? Well, it, it you know it it lowers the dynamic range. Well, it also tonally changes things. There is a yes. tonal characteristic to compressors. Like Sometimes I just that. run shit through compressors because I like the vibe. I yeah, guess. you just like, you like the vibe. Minimal settings. Um. So I think we're at the point now. Let's talk about mics. What yeah. are you, what are you micing up on the bass for me? 
good old classic D112. I love it. Uh, and then maybe a 57. Uh, there's a million different things you could do, but I, I like that combo. I think it's a tried and true classic. Yeah, typically some form of lower, I wouldn't say sub, because I feel like I get a lot of the sub from the DI for the bass, yeah. but some sort of low low end. Something to get that body to it that the yeah. DI doesn't have. I feel like most DIs don't have a lot of that that real deep body. Uh, yeah, they, they got sub, and then they got some finger attack, but uh, it's like you need something to push that. So yeah, typically two mics. Um, the best combination. Two I've mics ever, and one atom. Yay! All right, podcast episode. You got a great record. idea. Um, <laughs> we get Mike Calandrelli and another Mike. Another Mike. Mike McCann. That would be an interesting combo. The three of you guys. I'd pay to watch that. That'd be weird. <laughs> Your face right now says it all. I'm trying to think. <laughs> Yep, back to bass mics. Um, <laughs> uh, my favorite combination um, was, that I've heard, and it's a, a staple, is the RE20 and a 421. Ooh, um, I like that. That's kind of the safe classic of you get your subs from the DI, your low-end punch from the RE20, mm-hmm. and then your kind of mid-range bite from the 421 because 421s do have that presence boost, yeah, which is great. Um, I know... I trash this mic a lot. I do like the Beta 52 on a bass cab. Yeah, I like it too. It does this really round thing that I yeah, like. Um, but I, I did sell my Beta 52. So if, uh, yeah, so if I, if you said, Adam, here's your mic collection, um, we're going to mic up a bass cab, my first thought would be to grab a D112 and a 421. Yeah. And then, yeah, I, I've run it so much. Always two mics. Always two mics yeah, because bright, I want to grab. Dark. Yeah, exactly. I want to grab something that's going to get a lot of that attack. You know, maybe even you know near the tweeter um, of the bass. The um, pretty much any microphone that you would use on a kick drum is going to sound good on a bass cab. Yeah. Um, I for less punchy bass, I have put my uh, Fet Forty Seven on the cab, and that's Ooh, nice. Like that. It yeah. it captures. It does the same thing it does to kind of a kick drum where it's. That's a great. I like that on it rooms too. Captured, on a room, yeah, on a base it's just room. a good mic. Um, it captures kind of the body, but it also captures some air to it. Um, I have a theory that I want to test out, where I kind of use microphones to like if instruments need to tie into each other. So like if I'm using if I'm trying to tie the low end of the bass in with a kick drum, I want to know like if what if I use the same. Same microphone. Same microphone that I used on the kick, and then if like whatever I'm using for the bright signal for the bass, if I use that as one of my bright or dark mics on the guitar cab, that'd be interesting. Maybe not necessarily. I don't know. I just I. I, I, I get where, I get where you're coming from with that. Because there's certain engineers. I'm pretty sure it's Kurt Ballou who says that when he records guitar rooms, he'll always do a trash guitar mic room mm-hmm. where he just has the SM57 or whatever he's using as a snare mic set up, and he won't move it from where the drums are tracked because mm-hmm. he's tracking everything yeah. in the same room. So he'll take away the drum kit, but the snare top mic will still be facing that huh. way, and it just stays that way. And he goes, maybe I'm lying to myself, but I feel like <laughs> I feel like it... It ties it, the whole mix yeah. together. Yeah, so. I, I really like room mics for bass. Uh, yeah, if, I do too. If the arrangement uh, will allow it, I feel like you know if you're going for you know like speed speed metal and yeah, stuff big, that's really fast. I'm yeah, you might mic. not want rooms, but even in like a lot of heavy metal stuff, I mean yeah. you can get away with that because there's enough room to have a room mic in there. 
yeah, I'll add the, some depth to the bass. Yeah. I think it really connects it to the drums a lot mm-hmm. more. Um, instead of it just sitting there blending with the kick drum, I feel like a lot of times people just look for their their kick and bass relationship instead of the bass and the entire drum kit relationship. Um, and I feel like a room mic can really help yeah. you bring all that together. That's basically kind of what you're talking about with yeah. with with what Kurt Blue does. Um, but I also feel like um, you get some really cool tone because yeah. you can pick up some nice reflections off of your room that will add almost like a uh, a bright, r- like uh, metallic kind of sound off the bass. Yeah. Also, you can get some interesting low end because you're farther away, so the bass freaking has more time to build up. Yeah. Um, you get some really cool stuff. I mean, one of the I know the I'm sure it's on your list. I actually I didn't put it on my list because I knew you were gonna do it. Well, I hope you do. If not, we're gonna have to bring it up. Um, but uh, uh, the sound awake record. Yep. The bass tones on that are absolutely One of those incredible. Is on my list, so because um, he he did um, well, drums and bass were recorded, recorded in the same, the same place, and so right. there's lots of room mics for the bass. There's lots yeah. of cool mics. I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of the the, the dark glass alpha mega pedal was designed, I think, trying to recreate that bass sound i think i, well, I think that. one of the circuits in it is, yeah because i think there's multiple things on that yeah the alpha yeah. it's like the alpha circuit and the omega one of the circuits i think was like they were like that the that goliath, tone how did you do yeah, that yeah, yeah the um, goliath tone yeah that's actually one of my pick spoiler yeah. but uh well yeah because there's so much bass spill in the room mics mm-hmm. but it just it glues it together it does um, it also helps that they're super fucking tight yeah i mean you, gotta you can't be, do that with a with a mediocre band you've got well, you and i level. tracked um drums and bass together for an EP but we didn't do a live cab the, yeah the bass was DI so well, we were a little different. too we both admitted we wanted to do it because I think it was like right after the, yeah. those carnival sessions mm-hmm. were available but then we were both like we were at least aware enough at the time to realize yeah. like we could get ourselves into serious yeah. trouble doing that so we'll do it but we'll do it we'll do it yeah. but yeah we did but we should do we, we, when we well, go to record some stuff we one should of do the, that um, we were also building the drum parts for one of the songs too. Yeah, at that, if I remember correctly, I think you're like right. We were writing the drum part as we were. Recording. Pretty sure for a lot of that, we weren't really recording anything that we had been playing together for a long time. A lot of yeah, it, was it was stuff that we kind of were doing on the spot. So playing was, those yeah. together might not have been the greatest idea. No, I thought the feel was well, good. I man. meant, I meant like if we had a, a live, live cab. cab. Oh yeah, that would because I'm sure we did some editing at some point. Oh, with that. for sure. Yeah. Um. um that's that's bass. That's bass. Do we want to talk about mixing? How are you feeling? You want to jump into the playlist and then save mixing for another episode, or I feel like we can kind of just roll into it here. I mean, how much stuff do you have about mixing that you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, we'll tie it in, and then we'll do. You know what? We'll do like a mixing drums and bass episode, you know, or not drums and bass, mixing like guitar and bass. Like mixing our stringed instruments. Episode. Yeah, so let's just skip the mixing then for now. We'll just tie that in with with guitar. Cool. Yeah. So then, uh, yeah, next episode will probably be just the same thing, but for guitar. And then we'll talk about because I feel like so much of it's so hard to talk about mixing stuff individually. Because yeah, you know, my bass mix is going to change depending on what I want it to do with, with the, the guitars drums, and the yeah. drums. But tonally, you know, I think yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cuba. Cuba. Sweet. Um, Playlist, The Sound Awake Out, my carnival. See you guys next week. Yep. (laughs) And then if you want to be cool, just throw on, like, Anima by Tool. Yeah. uh, Pretty much your uh, alternative metal bass tones. 
All right. I don't remember who started. I don't know. Who cares? Actually, you want to go, like go first? You have more songs, so you go first. Yeah. I'm not going to say all of these. I'll save some of these. Uh, a new band, the new band that I was talking about that I'm really into, they're called Palm Reader. I couldn't okay. decide which song, and I finally decided it because I think it's just more of a gnarly tone. The song is A Bird and Its Feathers by Palm Reader. Okay. Uh, really cool album. Just came out last year. Super gnarly bass tone. Um, I think... One of my other picks, my next pick, is a very distorted, grindy bass tone, but it's very focused and narrow. Gotcha. Um, it fits, re it's really tight sounding. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one, I I'm saying this for contrast, it's huge. It's just like if you had the bass in the room and you had a huge distortion pedal on, and it's just, burr, it's yeah. awesome. It fills up so much the area of the, of the mix, but in a really good way for this song. It's super fat, just awesome tone. Sweet. Uh, my first pick... We'll just we'll go with the tried and true uh, Goliath by Carnival off of Sound yeah. of It's probably my favorite bass tone ever. I love it, and the way it sits with the kick is just so perfect. Yeah, it's incredible. That album is just anybody who's a fan of music gotta love it. If you tell me you don't like that album, we don't we don't need to talk ever again. Like, <laughs> you are dead to me. Pretty. <laughs> I don't, you know, all of art is subjective, but you can't. Yeah. That album should be in everybody's library. And, uh, yeah, everybody should listen to that ed that album with headphones on at least once in their life. Oh, completely. In my opinion. All I'd, right. Yeah, I don't need to dissect it. Like, if you hear it, and you'll you'll hear the bass tone, and you'll be like, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. All right. I so on the other end here. So that my my I think both of our tones are really good, you know, rock metal tones. Yeah, it's um, just a good. If you're in that well, ballpark. Yeah. I'm going to switch it up here. Ain't it fun by Paramore. Okay. Um now I you know, there might be a lot of other better examples, but that was the one that came to mind. That bass tone is super smooth. It's really warm, but it's got a nice, you know, it's got a nice bright top end so it cuts through. Also, the way it's mixed, the bass is like the main instrument besides Haley's voice. Yeah. Um that bass is what, you know, holds that song and makes it interesting. Uh, I love that tone. I think it's a P bass, I believe. I know it was a Fender. Um, but that's just a really awesome pop bass tone mm. that you can honestly use that tone for, like, I would use that in a rock song or metal song because it's just like, ah, it's just so pleasing. It, you know, by itself, it's so much, the bass is so much the focus of that of that song's arrangement that uh, they killed it with that tone. There's a lot of underappreciated tones in the pop punk era of oh yeah well this was one of their most recent ones this oh, is shit, off the really? yeah this isn't like the, I'd call it they're not pop punk anymore it's just their radio pop stuff it's okay. the ain't it fun do 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 I don't I think even I've know how it goes yeah. the bass the bass riff is cool it's it's very um I only half paid it I was totally blanking on, I was like <laughs> there was an extra pick for one of the bass tones that I like because I have a feeling we might have another one that's similar. Yeah. No, I mean uh, they're they're old records. I like their old records, but there's no feats of engineering on that. But like yeah. there's stuff with the with their newer stuff. I don't necessarily like the songs as much, but there's some really awesome tones and engineering. Yeah. Like with this one, like the song is, is fun. I was know. watching one of those. Ain't, uh, ain't it fun? <laughs> the um, the Rick Beato like what makes the song great thing, mm -hmm. and it was just like one of the Blink One Eighty Two ones, and I was like, oh god, he had such a good bass tone. Oh uh, yeah, I'm kind of disappointed I didn't pick one of those. There, there's so many to choose from. Like I had to stop. Yeah. Well, what's your second pick? Please tell me Blink-182. Uh, it is not. It is uh, 46 and 2 by Tool. Yeah, um, so good. It is the perfect blend of played with a pick, played with the fingers. Yeah. It's a dirty bass tone. It's a clean bass tone. He cakes in effects. Like, mm -hmm. it is just all approaches to the bass are covered. In all about that bass. 
that song is just our pick. They're not even one of my favorite bands. Like I know, like they're probably your favorite band, maybe. My t- my but five favorite bands are all my favorite band. I, I know what you mean, but yeah, I as a bass player, like pff, that dual bass sounds incredible. Yeah, you can't not love it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the bass line to Schism's probably more iconic. Yeah. Um, the bass line to The Pot is probably his best one because it's a funk bass line and a metal mm-hmm. song. But, man, there's just something about 46 and 2 that yeah. just, like... Because it does a cool thing that I like to do um, when mixing bass where if you can't get enough mid-range clarity or stereo width, I like to I always send one of my bass tracks to a chorus. Yeah. And that's hard panned left and right. And that's an old Andy Wallace trick. You can hear it all over Nevermind by Nirvana mm-hmm. and pretty much anything that he's mixed. I think there's another Rick Beato episode of like Andy Wallace mixed tricks. Yeah. And it's all over the old Rage Against the Machine records. Like Hell yeah. I don't know. I just like tone. I don't think there's one great like I have things that I gravitate towards, but I just like good sounding instruments. Speaking of effects on bass, Jeremy by Pearl Jam. Ah, uh, so great. Was that album on a fretless? Uh, that album? No. Uh, so that song, that song in particular, he played a 12-string bass. Okay. Which is three strings, three octaves of strings per string. Right, um, yeah. So each string gets three. And then I think that's like a, he's got like a chorus on there, and I like a little bit of delay to get that whole thing, and then he's hitting harmonics. That, that whole bass line is incredible. Um, but it, it also wouldn't be the same thing without those effects that are on there and the 12-string bass. Mm. Um, that's one of those bass tones that it's like it wouldn't work for everything, but for that song, it makes that song just stand out that much more, that opening. It's just incredible. I just feel like he had... Pearl Jam has some underrated tones across the board. Oh, like, yeah. There was a lot of Pearl Jam songs that did not make the cut for pretty much every episode of the drum mm-hmm. series. Yeah. Uh, the song Getaway has just one of the best snare sounds, like the best snare bottom sound I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I love 10 album. We, I mean, we talked about it. Like, yeah. the, the original and the, re, the remix, the remix both are, cool. are great. Um, I I think we talked about it is like, the original has more, it's more artistically pleasing. Yeah, there's just a vibe there. I but think. if you go out and listen to the remix and the original, like, in the same day, and it just goes to show, like, if your songs are good, mm-hmm. the mix matters but it doesn't matter like i think even flow would still have blown up even, oh yeah even if it would have still blown up yeah. yeah um yeah i i feel like i've my other my other uh when i get back to my pick there's it's gonna be another one that's got some effects on it that i feel like that's at least within my knowledge of, of music stuff and i feel like i listen to a lot of stuff constantly mm-hmm. but I, there's not a lot of effects on bass in a lot yeah, of the tracks need to you know they, it more. there's distortion everyone's obsessed with distortion on bass which i love but you know like that you know like jeremy and then my other picks i'm going to come up with like where's all the chorusing and flanging and throwing delay on your bass and you yeah. know not just using it to hold down the low end but it's like you know even when you're playing up high on the bass it still sounds different than a guitar so like yeah. you could do some cool stuff you know that's a matter of arrangement but there's so many cool different effects you can do on bass to get some I feel wacky like stuff. There's, you know, not enough bass players give attention to the higher two thirds of the neck, like yeah. all the way down. Like everybody mm-hmm. just le- lives in like one through six. Yeah, and it's just like there's so much. There's and, so much cool stuff. Which is why I think not to kick it back to Tool, but like if you watch Justin Chancellor play, like even though he's playing whatever the note is, he's he's never really up here. Rarely, he's until they get to the, the final build section where it's then yeah. meant to just be 
epic and heavy, but he's until that, it's all articulation. In like the middle of the neck. Yeah. I don't know. Just not enough people explore the space of the uh, the fretting of the bass. Completely. Is it me? It, it is, is me. you, Sad. All right. We are going to dive away from affected bass sounds, and uh, the new Thrice record has the one of... It's similar to Goliath, where the bass tone is just awesome. So my pick is uh, Scavengers off of uh, Horizons East by Thrice. Hell yeah. I think... Uh, anybody who knows me knows. Big fan. They're probably my favorite band ever. Mm. Um, underappreciated by the masses, but Ed's bass tone is underappreciated by even more of the masses. He's got such a good bass sound live yeah. and in the studio. It's really solid. Just... And he doesn't. He hasn't really mixed it up. He says over the last like couple records because mm-hmm. they're on their like private alliance, like fan, you know. Yeah. Their version of the Patreon, mm-hmm. um, they're doing a bre- like breakdown of each song, and he was just Ooh, saying he's cool. like my bass rig and tone hasn't really changed <laughs> in the last like four or five albums. Like he's like once I found it, I just found it. Yeah, I feel like that happens. Like once you dial yeah. it in, it's like ooh, this but is it, great. It's definitely more highlighted on this on the newest album, like yeah. mix wise, where it's way more present. So it's just such a good bass tone. And it always sucks when like a bass player's got a really great tone and then it gets kind of buried in the mix. Yeah. Got a homemade Gibson Grabber style bass, which is yeah awesome. My next pick is another affected bass. Uh, surprise! I, I've got so like I said, I got I had so many, but I was like, well, a lot of them were similar, so I really wanted to pick some like more diverse ones. You're no good by Van Halen off of Van Halen Two. It's the okay. opening track. It opens up with uh, Michael Anthony, and I think it's just a flanger on his bass. Um, it's like a real old school seventy sounding uh, bass. You know, it doesn't have that. That low end that a lot of modern records have now. It was still when like you had a hundred hertz, but you didn't really have a lot of that sub frequency. Right. right. Um, there's a lot of mid range in his bass. You can hear a yeah. lot of the finger movements because of that mid range. But he's doing this like pew bow like this. Just it, he's just having fun on it. He's got yeah. a flanger, and but the flanger keeps going the whole song. He's um, a fun sounding bass player. Oh yeah, it's like, it's great. I mean, he's got some great bass tones. Like that song in particular. I think the flan the effect stays on the entire time when he's just holding down. Bam, and it gives this really awesome, uh, this awesome stereo feel to the yeah. to the bass that it doesn't normally have. Um, I will say with your uh, stereo mixing of the bass, make sure it's not you're not sending the super bass heavy track yeah. of the bass. It's and I think I think bands like Van Halen um, and other like three piece bands. I think you can get a you can have you can get away with a lot more fun on the bass because yeah. he's got this just the space. You've got for the space it. to do. You've got less of a dense arrangement. You don't have. Yeah quad-tracked guitars and all this stuff like that where it's like it does become kind of hard. Um, mm-hmm. But that's then when the band needs to get creative with their arrangements. Be like, well, we need to add a part to this where maybe we do something like that. Um, Sweet. Good old rock and roll, baby. Rock and roll. Uh, my next pick would... Uh, we'll go old school. And this is the song I was forgetting, so I was half paying attention for one of your picks. But we'll go NIB by Black Sabbath. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Geezer Butler, right? Yeah. I was totally drawing a blank on that too. It's just I, he's got a real throaty and nasally sounding bass tone, yeah. and I, I miss that in mm-hmm. in music sometimes because that's what I feel gives it the the I don't want to say clarity, but the definition in the mix is oh, yeah. a lot of that mid range. And it's, I miss a lot of old bass tones. Like yeah. I've been listening to the stuff in the nineties, seventies. Yeah. There's some great bass tones. Not enough people. None of them are on my my picks because I I just totally blanked on making 
time I, to listen to bass tones. I feel but, like we're kind of re-experiencing. I, I, I don't know. I'm, this might sound really stupid, but it's just my observation. I kind of feel like we're re-experiencing the '80s a little bit because the '80s. I feel like although there's a lot of great sounding stuff from there. I just feel like a lot of those tones aren't timeless, and that's because they were exploring so much with the new technology they have. Yeah. And I feel like the same thing is happening now, where it's like we constantly have all this new gear, all the yeah. new innovations, and so it's so much focused on like how to get this and how to get that instead of yeah. just good tones. Whereas when you look at the '60s and '70s, it was just experimenting and like yeah. we were doing music. And then I think the '80s happened, and people got real burnt out of it. So then you had the '90s come around with like grunge and a lot yeah. of that, that movement. Well, I think and then now for the last yeah. 20 years, we've just had this technology boom where, don't get me wrong, there's been some great tones, but I feel like you haven't had as much of a diverse thing because everyone hops onto the new tech yeah. as soon as it comes out, so then everybody's doing the same thing for a while. Like we talked about right now, everybody's yeah. doing the ding wall and the dark glass thing. Yeah, I said it in a, a previous episode, and you, you put it into words better, where it's like, I feel like the 80s production style's in, and I think it's because there's if you look at it in the 80s, there was such a digital revolution. Mm -hmm. Not, it doesn't hold weight to what we have now digitally, yeah. but it was new technology yeah. that was wildly available. So you weren't, you didn't have to buy this big-ass reverb plate and dig a trench in the basement of your studio. <laughs> like, you just had this, had this box. You had this box that could do it. And then I think the 90s came about where it's like, well, let's take all the cool tech that we have, but let's have four or five dudes in a room yeah. play their instruments and we'll apply that tech now that we know its limits yeah. and do it. And I think hopefully the pendulum's kind and of And I think we are because I think, you know, some of the stuff that I've brought up, like like George Lever, he's doing some really cool stuff. I think there's a lot of cool engineers awesome. right now that are that are trying to find a really cool balance of like, yo, technology is awesome and it allows us to do so much shit that would cost us millions of dollars to have done yeah. years ago. Uh, but finding that balance. Yeah. Which is why Kurt Ballou is one of he He works in a lot of genres that I don't really... Mm -hmm like to listen to um because i'm not super into like all the metal stuff yeah but god damn he's a good engineer like mm -hmm. and he always says like someone asked him like did you eq on the way in and it was like mm -hmm. on it's like a you know like a tape op interview or something like some interview and his only response is like that's what separates the men's from the boys it's <laughs> <laughs> so true though <laughs> and i was like fuck no i got an eq on the way in. um <laughs> Oh but mad props to Kurt Ballou and mad props to Black Sabbath. Side note, like I said, procrastinated a little bit, so I didn't get to uh, explore the bass as much as I wanted to. People need to fuzz out their bass more. Oh, yeah, fuzz I love pedal on a bass. Pedal. Oh, yeah, so good. absolutely. Uh, a bass tone that's not fuzzy at all, but just a <laughs> super clean transition game on. A super clean, awesome bass tone. Uh, Gray Street by Dave Matthews Band. Uh, pretty much anything. I brought their their drumming up, but I think they've just got a great sound. I'm a yeah. I'm a I'm a Dave Matthews fanboy. I don't wear socks and sandals, but like, I love me some Dave. I think like he's a great songwriter. Bassist is incredible. Super awesome tone. Really warm and uh, and and punchy. Yeah. Uh, doesn't have like a lot of that sparkly like pingy high end, but it's just you know he plays with his fingers and it is just it is a smooth bass tone. He just it. It lends itself to the groove that 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 player has and that band has. Um, I'm a big fan of that tone. Just super clean. I would call it just a clean, clean bass tone. Oh, I have three songs to choose from. I have more bass than I. Well, we talked. About, you know what? I'll leave my distorted one out because I feel like we've talked about distorted. Bass. Yeah, I had another one that was distorted, but I was like, um, you know, we're gonna have like an honorable mentions where we just throw them out there, but we don't need to talk about them. My, I guess this is, is this my fifth pick. Yeah. Um, 
would be Drag My Body by Hot Water Music, a uh, punk band, but their bass player plays with his fingers. Nice, um, I like that. It's a very clean and funky feel. I mean, it's it's not their most, like, punk-oriented mm-hmm. song, but it's just a good... He plays those... that. Uh, it was the all black like Fender hybrid. I think it was like the Aerodyne. Okay, where yeah. Where it was like it's got the PJ kind of setup. Mm-hmm. Jason Black, I believe, is his name, and he is one of the most underappreciated bass players ever. Um, it's a lot of awesome punk bass bass players. Yeah, it's not you know it's not the most unique. I mean, it's just a, a good solid bass tone, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's just good. Uh, the ba- the bass line itself is he's so good at like. Adding in harmonics, and he plays a lot of bass fills, yeah, which also add to the vibe. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't always just need to play the root note. Like, yeah, add a lot of fills. I love, I yeah. love bass fills. There's in that song. There's a sick drum and bass fill at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's just Hell like, yeah. yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave off with this last one here because I think it's a it's a great bass tone, and I think it's also a really interesting tone for this mix. But uh, "Language Two Conspire" by the Contortionist off their album "Language." Um, they, you know, you consider, I would call them a metal band, but they have a lot of spacey parts to it. Um, there's not a lot. Of, this song does have screaming on it, but a lot of their stuff isn't these days. Um, I really like how the bass tone, as far as I can tell, is not distorted. And if it is in certain sections, it's very minimal. It is very similar, I feel like, to the uh, Dave Matthews band and the Paramore bass tone. It's got more of that, like, pop, warm roundness. Um, thing to it rather than the grindy aggressive sound which is really surprising for this for this genre yeah. um, and I think I think a lot of there's a lot of the tones on that record are like that where I think that's what makes it so interesting is that it's like yeah at the end of the day if I you know I would classify those as a metal band yeah. because they have you know metal parts but there's so much more than that and I think it's really cool the different uh, influences of tone and genre they pull into that. And yeah. So that's, I think that's a really cool example of like, hey, you might be a heavy band, but you don't have to necessarily have a super aggressive bass tone. It's still fat and holds it in, but there's a lot of intricacies in his playing that you can hear because of the tone that they yeah. chose. Be, be you. Be you. Be good. Be good. Be really cool. and if Be you... exceptional. Yeah. and uh... Whatever you do. Yeah, if you, uh, I think that wraps up bass. You didn't have one more? Was that only four? I don't know. Fuck, all right. Well, well you know what? Give me one more. We'll go with Wood by Alice in Chains. Wood. Oh, okay, good, because I had an Alice in Chains one on there, too. I had Rain When I Die. Okay. Uh, but I, I was going to pick Wood, but then I was like, no, Rain When I Die. So I'll let you talk about it, though. But, ah, uh, they're amazing. Like, six different tones, that they all blended into one. Bunch of tones blended together. A lot of effects on there. It's chorused at the beginning. Yep. Art Night Bass. If anybody listening has one kicking around, send it my way. Yes, please do. Um, or I'll just buy one off of Reverb eventually. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just a good bass tone. Yeah. I, Alice Chains is in my top like three bands. I think if I could only have one record to listen to, Dirt is definitely up there. Of I, I'd be happy if I could only listen to that for the rest of my life. I, I love that band so That's much. Fair. Yeah, no, the bass tones on that record are incredible. That song. The yeah. snare verb on that, also awesome. Did you pick that one because I was singing that song last night? No. I, I bet just... you subconsciously it, it got to you. I listened to that album on my way home because I was like, this is totally going on the list. I listened <laughs> to Hot Water Music on the way home. Uh, nice. I actually listened to Alkaline Trio on the way down, and Dan's got some good bass tones on the album. Oh, when album. you listen, if you listen to that Palm Reader song that I put in there, right. 
tell me what you think about his voice because he sounds like the bass player from Alkaline Trio. A little bit. Not exactly, right. but I think that's why I like that band so much is because I, you know me, I love, what's the bass player's name? Dan Andriano. Dan. Yeah. I love Dan's voice more than I like Matt's oh, on the Alkaline yeah. Trio stuff. That's just me personally. But I think that's why I like this band Palm Readers because yeah. the guy, I'm like, he kind of sounds like Dan. When I was younger and more angsty, I was like, Matt, Matt knows what's mm-hmm. up. And now that I'm slightly more mature, it's not that I don't like Matt's stuff mm-hmm. with Alkaline Trio, but like, now that I'm slightly older, Dan's stuff resonates with me yeah. like a little bit more. No, Whereas, I, totally. Yeah. I mean, I love I love them both. Yeah, I love the thanks. whole band, but I just like Dan's voice because it's to me it's a little more unique in the, the sphere of rock music. Yeah. Whereas as Matt's got that high pitched voice, whereas Dan's got this weird. Yeah, Matt's got your you know typical style pop punk kind of voice. And, yeah, and yeah, Dan's is just, is unique. And he's, he's a unique. great great bass player. Yeah, incredible. great bass tones too. Um. Cool. Uh, if you care to help us out, which we would appreciate, you can uh, donate to the Patreon. There is some some tiers you can pick from, from just helping us a out. A cup of bit. my tears, yeah. if you will. You, we let you bully us and we cry, if that's your thing. Uh, follow us on the socials at Reflections Artist Collective. Subscribe to the YouTube. Tell your friends to do the same. Leave comments, too. Leave comments. Yeah, we got to conquer that algorithm. You know, let us know what bass tones you guys like. Drop some comments. Leave us some messages. You know, we'd love to hear it. Maybe uh, maybe if we get enough of them, we can make a a fans playlist at some point. I would like to be doing fan playlists. Um, What else? Um, I think that's about it for the podcast. Yeah, episode seven, baby. Lucky number seven. Sweet. This is what's going to take us to the moon. Oh, the moon. I love space. Alrighty. Peace Peace out, out, everybody.